buttoned that up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell. I've been stretching. Mate, I was actually having to think about this. I was like, what, what was it that... So we were actually running through this run sheet and, and we, we were going through some fairly stock generic questions and I was like, nah, this is... Uh, this probably doesn't fly in Adrian's like instead of asking like what's your job and all these bespoke stuff and not not being super woke and being worried about the, the terminology we use I was thinking about changing the flow of this a little bit and so here are the questions and you know that we're both gorillas and fucking knuckle dragon so if anyone's listening don't miss don't just panic and turn the fucking podcast off um, right, so when you look in the mirror who do you see do you see Gaz the ex-army officer or do you see the photographer do you see the little bo- who do you see mate it's a it's a it's a bit of both i definitely don't uh be in the content creation industry i don't see myself as a typical content creator because a lot of them grew up playing computer games and with a, a camera in their hand and i still do like i still look back on like with the eight eight years I was in the the army, like that that still sort of has shaped me a bit. But these days I see, I see a bit, bit of a bit of a combination. I think that's sort of the the sort of yeah. I don't know. It's a bit it's a bit of a hybrid of the the two. I think I definitely don't um, put myself into the the content creation sort of stereotypical stereotypical photographer sort of skin. So. Bit of a hybrid, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. So, we, I mean, we, we talk about these surveys that we did, and, and those four big, like tribe was the was the thing we broke down the results into, and we we you know renamed it, but uh, tribe routine identity purpose. So, uh, I think those things are big, and and I, I think it's it's kind of subconscious stuff that you don't really realise. And I wasn't thinking about it until after I asked you. Um, cause I still was seeing myself as in the army, do you know what I mean? And then it wasn't until they're like, no, you're a civilian now, mate. Um, yeah. Oh, I definitely, like, in terms together. of personality and friend group and who you sort of identify with, like I said, I, I stand out like a sore thumb when I'm around a, a photo shoot with guys who have grown up doing that stuff since they were younger. A lot of them don't have too many, uh, too many worldly or life skills that I'd like to bring to the table so yeah I'd, de- I'd probably identify more with what i've done before i don't i don't see myself as a an aj or someone who comes across super green or anything like that but in terms of identifying like i i still look back on the traits and sort of personalities and the people i gel with when i get into a into a sort of friend circle like i'd be more i'd feel much more at home with a like guys like Adrian and yourself than I would uh, looking around a photo shoot that's for sure I would say what what's the what is the two, two questions that come to mind one is I mean there's got to be a massive leg up in the film like when you're going doing shoots in remote locations and you're not a prima donna or, or, or a princess uh, and and I guess does that help you like that worldly experience in, in getting shots or achieving things that would normally not set you apart from the rest of them? Mate, 100%. Um, the, the biggest thing for me is, like, what most people pay for when they pay for a photographer or a videographer to come along is basically a camera with a human attached that knows how to operate that camera. Like, they don't 
they don't get anything else with that individual. Like they're there to take photos. You tell them what to do. You you, you frame everything. That's why they've got a director, an assistant director, and then by the time you get down to the guy on the camera, like they're there to basically you turn them the direction you want you to shoot the camera, and you tell them what to shoot, and that's sort of what they they're paid to do. But I think um, one of the reasons why we've sort of won some of the clients that we have and got so far in the industry in a short amount of time is it's it's the same as sort of the military in a way where every photo should have been on none of them have run none of them have run to plan like something's gone wrong something unforeseeable has happened and your ability to sort of forecast and um contingency plan essentially and then react to sort of things around you and not only that some of the management skills you get and uh, skills you get interacting with people will sort of help you out on set as well but I, I think as like it's it's been instrumental like I think and, and I still think um, your, your, your people skills and stuff is uh, far more important than your technical skills uh, everyone can pick up a camera and learn how to do it but I think uh, the planning and um, people skills go a long way in sort of this environment Yeah, I don't know, because before, because I always do this, we always get in straight in the conversation and, everyone, and everyone's going like, who the fuck are you talking to? Um, so just for everyone to know, it's uh, your bit of your military background, bro, like you're an ex-army officer, I'll let you get into it. Yeah, so I went through um, RMC in about 2010, um, graduated, went infantry, uh, sent to 3RAR, Spent most of my, well, all my platoon commander time up there. Uh, that's where I sort of met you on the Brigade DFSW courses. Uh, spent a few years in the chock world as a full-time and then uh, finished up last year full-time service, 2018, down in, um, down in Sydney. Mate, it's been, uh, that DFSW course was fucking... I think what we did to those boys was, was fuck, it's illegal, but Jesus Christ, I can't believe the, oh. the stuff that the, the three area boys did. Yeah, I don't think you get away with it these days. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. I boys apologise. My fucking internet just shit itself, but I'm back. I think I'm back. I don't know if I froze, mate. Um, six one Sunray, right? For everyone at home who's not an AJ, so that's like makes up zero point zero zero one percent of our audience. What what does six one Sunray come from, mate? Uh, it's a content creation brand that I do now, but that was my call sign when I was overseas. Um, the I was sort of had a, an opportunity to start a content creation business um, to legitimise that. Within about four days of my first work contract, they made me register an AVN business name, and I thought, "Fuck, what am I going to call it?" So I, I thought, "What something that I can uh, relate to? Um, something's got a bit of a ring to it." And because I was going into that travel sort of film world, Sunray, I thought, oh, "A city will hear it and might know what it means." But coming back into these circles, everyone probably will pick up it had some sort of military twang to it. So that's how the name was founded. And what what six one Sunray? What's that recon boss? No, nah, no, is it that, was it, it was our. Uh, it, it, it is typically. Uh, I wasn't recon, but it was. It was just the. Uh, I was our mentoring task force. That was the platoon got the nickname six one. I think because it come out of support company, but oh yeah, 
Def- definitely wasn't yeah, recon. Nice. Don't show my legs. Don't don't cam up my push by <laughs> anymore. Yeah, nah, good. Mate, so what was um? So, so sorry, I'm missing the start when my um, audio was dropping out. Um, because I got a fully sick setup. What when when did you get out? I got out like finish up full time. Uh, well, the last year of full time service was 2018. Then I went on leave without pay in 2019. Uh, was was discharged in January 2019 or through a clerical error. Um, I had a leave without pay extension go through. Didn't get to the right person's desk, and then I got called about like not uh, mid 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 January 2019 to say that I was out of the army effective a couple of days ago. Um, so that was sort of how I got out of the army. Was it? Did you want to get out, or would they just ring you and go, "Hey, uh, uh, well, your paper got I, fucked I, up. You're not." Mate, I was I was on the fence. Uh, I was meant to get out on that date, and then I was like, I come back. I was I was working overseas in LA. Come back. I uh, had a few things going on at home, so I was like, oh, I might might stick around for a bit. And I just go. Oh, I, I got an approval for my leave without pay to be extended till April. That went through all the right chains, and then. Mate, I was sat at home a sunny January day and got a phone call and said off some fella at APAC North Queensland and said, oh, you're, you're out of the army effective sort of two days ago. And that was um, that was it. No interviews. Still got all my, all my gear, my passport, everything. And then I was sort of in one day, out the next. So 2018, that, that kind of contradicts my story. I've been telling people that um, DVA and their transition process was, was a shit fight pre-2017, but it's come a long way since then so you're kind of a, an outlier where you like you're saying 2018 they didn't have their shit squared away i did no transition i just got a phone call saying i'm a civvy no because they fucked up yeah, it was a clerical error yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a clerical error and the, the army acknowledged it but they basically said oh there's nothing we can do at this point and then yeah i, I sort of i i looked at getting back in um the reserves and stuff but the process was just sort of it was so drawn out by the time it happened i was sort of long gone overseas yeah right mate so uh, your next step did you get straight into videography or content creation no so um in 2018 i had the clothing company um was sort of running that spending a bit of time between here and los angeles because i set up an office over there um that's when I started to get back hands-on with the with the film and videography work, like just as a, a part of the business and a, a startup business. I didn't have the funds to be outsourcing a lot of the marketing, so I'd had experience with the camera before, but not not for about ten years. When I was growing up in high school, I was making surf videos. Had a made a surf video down here, Wollongong, that got had premieres and sold sort of all around Australia, but hadn't touched anything since and. Um, yeah, when I fell back into the clothing startup, was doing our own marketing um, material, and then I was sort of rubbing shoulders with some other people in the industry in Los Angeles, and they were seeing some of the marketing uh, campaigns that I was putting together for video work, and um, yeah, and we're pretty impressed by that. But sort of, it all happened, mate. How I sort of fell back into it, I was on a, a holiday with Stevie, who you guys met out at the Fink. Is uh, one of my Irish mates, um, he just bought a drone. I, I was back here, had just been administratively discharged out of the army by a clerical error. We were on a holiday in Fiji drinking cocktails. I took a camera over. 
they had the drone um, and we were just making our own stuff, filming a bit of shit that guys do on holidays, drinking piss on the beach and a couple of drone flights. And at the end of that holiday, we posted a bit of the stuff online. I got a phone call from a mate in Los Angeles and said, oh, you guys want to come work full-time in Europe making content for an international uh, brand. So that's sort of how it all how it all started. Fuck, yeah. Now, you've got... So I want to break this down because, one, we're, we're really big on encouraging people to find something they're passionate about, find a hobby, turn it into a career, right? And you, you, you've kind of nailed it at that. You've gone into something you enjoy doing, creating content. It's, it's kind of the dream job for most millennials generation people. But, right, there's a big but to this. One, you've obviously got an, an eye for creative and, and you've got a, a massive skill set. But there's got to be a lot of shit you learn along, along the way. Like, are you, are you self-taught? Now, before you answer, the reason I'm asking is, like, we get hundreds of people coming forward because like, we, we, as a charity, we're trying to make some sick content. That's why we're trying to work with you as much as possible. But we do get a lot of people come forward going, hey, I'm... I'm a veteran or I'm, I used to do this now after, since COVID I'm, I'm now a freelance ex and I'm like are you really or did you just you, you enjoyed the idea of taking videos on your iPhone and now you want to make money off it but really they're dog shit I'm not trying to crush people's dreams but I just want to show people like what what shit you've had to learn along the way to get your skill set from being self-taught to highly professional content yeah, so like I said, I had a, a basic idea of how to use a camera, but like having not picked up a camera for 10 years, uh, even just the, the technology that the way cameras moved forward in that time was totally different when I come back to um, when I come back to picking one up. But like like you sort of mentioned there, the, the first and foremost thing is I love doing it and how, how I got a, a start was doing it for free. I was on a holiday and I would have been filming anyway, so um, that, that was sort of the start. But... When I got that initial phone call to to say, "Hey, you guys have got a you've got a bit of skill here," and they like the the company that gave me a, a bit of a leg up saw some of the stuff that I'd done in in Los Angeles. Um, that was just sort of hobbyist stuff, but to take to that next level to being essentially a paid content creator, went out, bought bought a couple of new cameras, subscribed to an online. An online, probably the best online course I've found for for sort of videography, and then just learn on the fly. I went over there, probably confident in myself that I could um, that I could uh, deliver what they they expected of me. But every day we're over there, we shot our own stuff before before the actual paid um, paid work kicked off. We were shooting our own stuff, uh, experimenting with different things. We had worked side by side with a couple of other content creators and I, I was just straight up honest with them like I wasn't pretending to be someone that I was and I said look I, I bought this camera here two weeks ago and I've been given an opportunity like and and they were cool enough thankfully to, to say hey look like they sort of took us under our wing and and helped us along the way but it, it's it's the kind of industry where you need to be constantly constantly learning constantly self-educating and in terms of the resources and and how I learned, um, it was sort of a combination of me being thirsty for for knowledge. And in this day and age, if you can't learn anything on YouTube, like I'm sure you can learn how to build a house on there. Like you can certainly you learn how to operate a camera. Um, a combination of online skills, YouTube, um, and then I think for me, 
been able to just walk up to these people and tell them honestly, like, hey, I, I was in the army for ten years. Like, I'm I'm not a content creator. Like, these guys went to film school and stuff. I said, show us a bit of, show us a bit of what for, and they were good sports. And um, well, they saw it for what it was. Like me and some Irish guy rocking up to an international job, <laughs> uh, not knowing what we're doing. But they, they were cool about it. But learned a lot. But the learning never stops as well. Like, yeah. But, but but I think yeah just just being resourceful with what you've got and um, and yeah I, I suppose being humble enough to to say hey give us a hand. No mate, hundred percent. And that's like when when the younger people do come to us like saying oh I'm, since COVID I've I've turned myself into a content creator. Um, obviously we're never going to try and shit on their dreams, but looking for. I mean, one, uh, this is what I look for. I mean, you correct me if I'm, if I'm looking in the wrong direction. I don't want to see if someone's technically proficient if they've just started something because um, you know you can get good at it. You, all I'm looking for is, is how hungry this person is because, like you said, especially in, in any kind of digital marketing media content creation, if you're not hungry enough to be looking for um, upskilling videos or looking for ways to get better at your job every week, every month, like you're going to be every 12 months you're going to be a year behind the times like shit changes that quickly and so when these young people come forward like all I'm looking for is, is how hungry are they to get better at their job because um, that's all we need yeah. someone who wants to learn and, and, and to be honest mate I've found that like there is there, there's a there's thousands of guys out there who have got more technical skill sets than what I do. But like what what we spoke about earlier on in the piece, like why 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 we sort of got um, a foot in the door and how we maintain that foot in the door is I, I, I thought all right, well I might know how to operate a camera, but I don't know how to do it. Someone as good who's been working on film sets their whole life. I'm like, what else can I bring to the party? And and some of those other things that. Yeah, I did learn in the military, and a lot of it comes from life skill, like being able to plan, being able to communicate um, what what you want to shoot, being able to like listen to a client and hear what they want. In st- like those those are the skills that uh, and the feedback that I've got back from uh, clients that were far more valuable than someone who was in the top one percent of being able to use a camera and editing. They're like, well, we can trust you, we can trust Stevie. Um, to go out and if we give you an intent you can come out come back and deliver it you don't need to be supervised we don't need to be worried worried about you being a creep to to girls on set and things like that like uh, there's a lot of strange people in the industry I've said it a few times but I think those were the things that really um, solidified our sort of career path and some of the jobs that we got that um, yeah that let, let us do full-time content creation I don't think, think- Sorry, Sorry yeah, I don't think having you out there with some of the personalities and some of the occupations of the people you had to film, uh, your ability to communicate and just get in and go, no, I've got a fucking job to do and, and communicate with them and tell them what you want. Like, no, 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 go back. I want to do that shot again. Um, I think that's that's stuff that you definitely can't learn in, in film school. And you do, you, the, the drive afterwards, the organizational piece of how many terabytes of footage did you have? Uh, the Fink was about four terabytes, but God, like, these are just some of the ones that I've got sat next to me now. Like, uh, I think the last couple of months, we shot about, oh, this year, I've got, what, 30 terabytes of footage in front of me? Mate, that, um, that, that's what 
lit the um, turn the light bulb on for me when you came down when we went down to Threadbow last year so if anyone's seen the video we put together um, oh, it's a year ago now of doing the, the cold therapy stuff in the snow and then climbing up Mount Everest slash Kosciuszko that we almost died on um, you were down there shooting for hours and then we, we pulled out what a 30 second 40 second video that was a fucking mind blow for me to go that that is how much content it requires to get you just need to be filming all day and then you get a 30 second grab yeah uh, like and sometimes that's all like all you get and mate let's uh you gotta have the camera roll on the whole time but if you think of how many hours we filmed out of the fink we'll probably put together a oh i don't, I don't want to throw an exact number out there now but what we shot for nearly seven days and had the camera roll and sort of from sun up to sundown like all you're looking for is probably i'll be i'll be happy if we get a a 15 minute clip that's super engaging the whole time but it's just it's just part of the game especially when you're doing like like Threadbow is the same as the Fink we're not out there uh, we're not on a movie set recording like cuts and, and or going off a script like we're just literally filming stuff as it, as it unfolds and uh, I sort of prefer that that sort of style of filming anyway but but you never know what you're going to get some days you can you can turn the camera on and have half the day's footage is gold other times you're not you're going to turn it on and nothing eventful happens the light doesn't light doesn't work for you and you could film the whole day and get two minutes out of it yeah when you go on these jobs you're normally surrounded by people who have chosen this as a career early in life they've gone to movie school whatever whatever that's called um and learned how to structure a set and how to build their, their content based off that like the formal model um yeah how do they, they they go through ranks right like they to start at the bottom they're like assistants and they run around getting coffees and then escalate to being behind the camera and they're all the way up to director is that so what's the normal structure mate to be honest um i can only tell you from what i've what i've seen on on sort of those bigger sets that i have worked on which is pretty minimal and um like like you said, there's guys there who are literally running around. You might you might start on the lights, or you might start as as like almost a third in charge on a camera. Like like some of these cinema cameras, um, they got a crew of three people to run run one camera, and you're working under the the DP, the director of photography. Then you've got an overall director, a producer. Um, they're people who are sort. There's a very big difference between. Um, sort of what I would consider myself to, to be doing, which is sort of online content creation versus sort of film production. And they're sort of two totally different, two totally different disciplines and um, kettles of fish. Like one, um, one of them, you're pretty much, it's like being a soldier in a platoon or you're a very small player in a big cog. Like if you're operating a camera, that, that is your sole job. You don't do any editing. You don't do any colour grading. You don't do any sound design. Your job is to literally get the shot that you've been scripted to do and then that uh, SD card goes off to the editor and you never see it again until you're sitting at the cinemas and, and basically watching the feature-length film. I've never been drawn to, drawn to that environment and I've only worked on a, a couple of things like music videos and low-level things where there's actually been a team from assistants all the way up to sort of producers and um and people who aren't on set overseeing the whole thing and and that's something that's never sort of been appealing to me because i like what i've sort of been drawn to and and where i'm at now i like getting like a a concept whether it be 
you guys sort of come to us about the the fink or, or whatever it is and seeing the whole thing through from start to finish and being hands-on involved in in the filming in the editing in the color grading editing the product because because when i'm shooting the product i can sort of foresee how i want it to look when it comes out the other end um on youtube or whatever platform it is and and seeing the project the whole way through like i find that far more um enjoyable i'm not throwing shade at anyone who's on a film set like some people work their whole life to to operate a camera on a on a big movie set but it's, it's just a very different when you, when you hear people who are into sort of cinematography and and filmmaking versus online content creation or being an individual content creator it's it's sort of a very different ball game yeah, so that's what you, that's your goal. Like, you want to stay in the space where you can be on the tools, yeah, yeah. building things, start to finish. Yeah, like I, I've got no interest in in sort of moving onto a bigger bigger film clip. So I, I sort of like the whole idea of coming up with an idea or, or being presented an idea or a challenge, and then going, all right, how how are we going to film this? Sort of doing the pre production, like as you'd call it, like the storyboarding, brainstorming, um, getting a bit of getting a bit of motivation and um, inspiration and then going out and shooting it and then coming back and have the challenge of editing it and color grading it and delivering it to the client yourself. Like, I find that very, very rewarding and that's a space I sort of want to stay in. And, yeah, like, I'd almost... I'd almost say that's similar to what, how, how I sort of saw myself um, in the army, mate. Like when, when I was at those lower levels and as a platoon commander, I enjoyed it, but as I sort of started getting up to the sort of captain senior captain and then you start to be be more it, it sort of reminded me of going to a film set and being that smaller piece in the puzzle to facilitate sort of the the guys on the lower end who are having all the fun and and getting to see it through yeah i, th- I mean and and the military background's got to help with that right because like there's not i've worked with with a few people like that way less experienced than yourself like in content creation and to have to do all the jobs from producing like bringing the pieces together getting a creative concept putting your ideas on paper then filming it yourself and then editing it and doing the whole whole thing um there's a lot of people out there that i've met that are good at filming and editing but when it comes to managing i'll, I'll use talent very loosely when it's our crowd but managing talent yeah. on set like that's a role that i look at it and go um as a director on a movie set or on, on a tv ad or whatever which is the only thing i've got experience in i've been an extra in two ads just shout out whatever um which ads, mate? What, no we'll, we'll get to that later they're fantastic ads <laughs> um but watching the director like the director wasn't behind the camera he wasn't on the tools but you could tell he'd been in the industry for a long time because he had command and control of all the people on the set and he had the balls to go up to um stars or talent and go that was good that was bad that was i need you to fix this blah 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 whereas working with content creators they're great on the camera they know how to to get great shots and they know how to edit well but very rarely have i seen them have the balls to go up to people and go i need to shoot that whole thing again because you fucked it or i'm going to put this camera an inch from your face and you just got to deal with it because that's how i'm going to get the shot um and it seems to be something you have like not trying to blow smoke up here but uh, do you think that comes from military background understanding a now you're a great content creator but b you've also got this military background that understands how to um manage or lead people yeah a hundred percent and like you sort of touched on there there's there's other elements as well like even even just the the budgeting and forecasting for for budgets and expenses and logistics like like look at look at the fink for example like i before we went out there like i i was sort of 
bound by time constraints, but I had to get a car out there, send all my gear in the car, oh, coordinate a drone pilot and things like that. It's not just the the confidence to talk to people definitely goes um, a long way. And I think it's not only the confidence to talk to people, but your ability to read a crowd and um, convey what you're trying to say without rubbing people the wrong way. And, and, and one of the things about our industry is like, I've worked with a whole range of people from some of the top Instagram models in the world who live a fictitious uh, influencer life to having to, like, my first and last, I had to direct a, um, a film clip which, which ended up being pretty big for, like, one of these Western Sydney rap film clips that they had bloody security there to make sure some other rival gang didn't come and, and shoot them up. And, and just having the the confidence to talk to them but also a way to communicate to them where you don't rub them the wrong way and and you can sort of get your bang for buck for like yeah it it definitely helped being in the army but there's a lot of things like like i said budgeting logistics communication it it all it all sort of comes into play and if only had to worry about filming that'd be easy See, I don't think yeah. the younger bloke. We come in as we use more and more technology, and we have less and less front in front in person conversations. I think that the the Z generate Z generate whatever fucking letter we're on now. I think they're going to be harder and harder to find, and and that will be the point of difference. We know that we're talking about tr- the truth, selling truth in media, and and your ability to actually communicate in crowds, and it's called leadership, right? I suppose getting people to do what you want them to do willingly. Um, yeah, or yeah, manipulation. That's, that's all manipulation. Yeah, but I, I think it's probably going to be a skill set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, Max. I, I mate, I, I think we're a generation away from um, a business, uh, like a market segment, being teaching people life skills because people just aren't getting them at the moment. Like young kids, I mean, not to sidetrack the conversation, young young boys and their ability to talk to women. I'd be fucked if I was like sixteen these days. They have most of their connections online, if they go and meet someone in person, they're so scared about what they're allowed to do without asking first for permission. Like, mate, life skills are life skills are not something we're teaching people. Oh, but and like it. like you said, like one one of the hardest things in this day and age is to like imagine me trying to tell an Instagram model that we need to do a shot again or something like that. It's 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 criticism. Like people aren't used to like you got to be so. You have to be so sort of touchy-feely. Like some of the stuff that, like I went through, I, I never, ever, ever, when I was in the military, thought I'd be shooting high-end fashion and beauty in in Los Angeles, and and sort of sat opposite these people who have literally from the age, like a lot of them that we worked with, like influencers, had, had never worked a day in their life. They they hit puberty when they were sixteen, got Instagram, and some of them were driving around G wagons at eighteen. Never, never held a proper job, and and there's me who's been in the army for the last ten years, sort of directing a shoot with them, with them in it. I never thought it'd happen, and, and and part of it is like, it's so hard in this day and age to critique someone, and people aren't open to criticism and stuff. But just having those communication skills to, and and a bit of charisma to get them to working with you, I think, um, goes a long way. But it's, it's a strange world out there. Yeah, Mate, that is a job. The terminology's sort of started to 
so instead of saying, hey, mate, maybe we've got to do that shot again and next time can you look in the camera, they're like, hey, so, oh, my God, maybe if you could be more direct, you know, you're like, what the fuck language are we talking about? Uh, it's just this soft, whitewashed, whiny, you can't just talk to people because they can't, they're dead right, mate, they can't take criticism anymore. Well, mate, if you're, if you're 16 and you're a super hot chick, Going through puberty, turn. So I don't know how old. Well, there's no age limit on Instagram, is there? But say that say they're 18, so we don't get in trouble in this conversation. Turn 18, super hot. You got a million followers on Instagram. You're making heaps of money. You're essentially a child star. Like that's like an adult, uh, an actor that got famous real young. They've never had to do anything, and, and no one's ever told them no. And that that's not good for anyone. Like if you've never been, if you've been had people around you saying yes, 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 your whole life, and you've gotten everything, congratulations. It's fucking fantastic for you. But to then have a bloke in your face going, I need to take that shot again because you weren't looking the right way, that's probably going to break their soul and they won't know how to respond to it. Yeah, it's an interesting world. I'm, I'm sort of glad that I'm dabbling less and less in sort of that kind of genre of filming. But like, that's how I got into the, into the game. Our first job was in Europe for three months, working nonstop with some of the sort of the biggest sort of talent from Europe and America. But... Um, it, ta- it taught me a lot and it taught me a lot about um, I suppose set etiquette and, and sort of the way these things go and some of the personalities that you meet in this industry but uh, yeah it's something that like I thought I'd wipe my hands of it not too long ago but I've had a few jobs here and there still working in, in, in fashion but not, not all of them are bad and I don't want to paint it with a like a just one big brush saying they're all they're all hard to work with because I've worked with some awesome chicks, but uh, it's, it's certainly a, an industry that I wouldn't want to be immersed in. Um, and when you're immersed in it, it's a very sort of fictitious, fictitious world that sort of exists behind. Like what what I see as a content creator versus what everyone else sees as the output on Instagram to the world. Like I see, every, everyone just sees all these influencers living their best life, uh, like on beaches in the Maldives, yachts, yachts in Europe, like living in mansions in LA. But um, what happens sort of behind the lens and what I see is totally different to to what everyone else pictures these people's lives would be like. Have you been blown away? Have you been absolutely blown away by an event that's happened behind the scenes like so industry secret where you're like I fucking did not think that dude or that chick was like that or fuck they're not as hot as I thought or they're kind of fucked Um, up and they don't portray that we would have to drop names so you never get a job again but no no like not not really but like a lot like nothing that like like I, I work with a lot of people who you'd look at their Instagram and you think that they're a super outgoing, confident, um, confident person, and and they're in reality they're overwhelmed with anxiety. They've got no self confidence. They're super super self conscious about how their body looks. But like if, if if you if you had a look at their Instagram or, or something like that, you would think that they just live the perfect life and that they every photo they've got. A, a spray on tan and, and washboard abs um, a lot of them aren't happy either like not not aren't happy but when 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 we're sort of away with them we're on these content trips and we're in these amazing locations doing these cool things but they're so caught up in um, 
it is their job at the end of the day, but they're so caught up in what they're wearing and, and, and getting the content that they're not actually enjoying themselves. Um, that, that's sort of all I'd say about that. It's, uh, yeah, just take take what you see with the grain of salt. I'm sure everyone knows, but it's uh, it's not the life it's all cracked up to be. I mean, that's the old, that's like Hollywood from, the stories coming out of Hollywood since forever was like, there's if you want to be a superstar you go to Hollywood and your life is not um, all glamour and most of them are anxious most of them have got psychological dramas but as soon as they're in magazines on TV and on the big screen it's like fucking everything's rosy and now all we've done with Instagram is just open it up so that every young person on the planet has access to attempt to be an influencer or a superstar and we're aspiring to be what people don't realise is a fucking broken mess. But on the on the flip side of that, have you ever been on set with these super influencers um, and gone, that's actually a genuine person? Like, I could be mates with oh, that person. Oh, 100%. Like, uh, yeah, we, we've worked with some who have been unreal. And that's what, like, like, like I'm, I'm not painting the picture that's all doom and gloom. Like, there's some there that are a lot of fun and, um, and who are having a good time doing it. But it just, I, I think... They're the ones who have cared less about um, about sort of the output onto onto Instagram, um, but yeah, there's still there's still some out there who are having a good time and who are like down to earth. And I've seen a few who I've initially looked at and goes, oh, like I think she might be a bit of a, a like a few twigs short of a bundle. But when you meet them on set and they're they're like holding it together and they're pretty cool. Like you, you can't pick them all. <laughs> Yeah, true. Sweden uh, made it illegal, so they've actually they've they've sort of set a new law. Sweden now, if you release photos, you have to disclose whether it's been touched up or not. What? Yep. Yeah, no shit, mate. Have You'll see it on the news tomorrow. Yeah. It'll be on the news tomorrow or our news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you making predictions? Or are you telling people what's coming up tomorrow? No, no, it's in news? the yeah, it's in the news, mate. Well, we're not doing uh, news on Friday, so that fucks that one. All right, we, have, oh, we can talk about that later. I don't know if I can be bothered doing Friday morning news, mate. <laughs> or, or I can. I don't know. You tell me. See how we go. But anyway, back to your story. Of- That's a big one. Sweet. Is everyone? Is the world going to follow Sweden and go, you must disclose if you've used Photoshop on your photos? That's Absolutely Instagram fucked, mate. No, no chance. Instagram is not allowed. No, like you, you're, meant to, there. you're meant to disclose when you got a when you're when, when something's a paid ad as well. But I reckon only five percent of people do that. Mm. Isn't that wasn't that um, originally like a, a Facebook metric they put in place so that eventually they could start taking a cut, like clipping the ticket on anyone trying to advertise on their platform? Because at the moment, right, Facebook's one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. Um, but you put your ads, you pay Facebook to display your ads. And then they're like, oh, we just bought Instagram. Instagram's entire economy is based on companies giving talent money to promote shit and Facebook's not clipping the ticket. So it wasn't, I, yeah, I thought I that originally I, I, came I, I, out. I, I, it works. Yeah, Zuckerberg will work out how I to was get his fingers in your money. Just getting inside and, and learning. I mean, it's all about osmosis and, and it was great seeing how you worked and even talking about some of the things you brought up when we were discussing storyboarding the uh, and, and sponsorship for the documentary. Um, and I've been watching Queen of the South on Netflix and, and we were talking about product placement and not being 
Not be, it's not. It's not for transgender. It's a. It's a. It's a it's I know a queen of the south is. I'm just yeah. wondering why you're spending one of your 24 hours in the day watching that garbage. Well, uh, hey, these things happen, mate. But um, <laughs> it's product placement. I thought it was like all subtle. And we were talking like, yeah, I know. I know how they do documentaries now. They do real subtle product placement. It is like blatantly obvious, and they are punching. They are punching dabs in that movie flat out and it's like packets of smoke so you know how they moved away from Hollywood and mainstream TV you couldn't I think there's some legal parameters where you can't advertise on free to air TV but it looks like Netflix they are fucking out like I'm surprised the Marlboro man didn't ride through on a horse <laughs> during the fucking thing yeah docos mate docos where it's at taking before we go into talking about the thing so we are talking before you how you were saying you you enjoy more being a content creator because you can get end to end um versus the the traditional model of having hierarchy where like do, i feel like docos kind of is a hybrid in the middle somewhere because you can get these docos that are super produced um multi-million dollar budgets they're gonna have to have a giant fucking production team right then you get them all the way back to the ones that, that I've watched more, the more famous ones over the last few decades, like um, Bigger, Faster, Stronger. Um, that, or whatever his original one was, that was a fucking sick docker. And that was like two or three dudes just, just walking around video and shitting a camera. Yeah, and, and what I'd sort of say to you with that is um, it's not necessarily a, a docker, and you can have a David Attenborough crew... $300 million or an episode or something that costs it's more just the art of of telling a story and getting like someone emotionally engaged like it doesn't like documentary yeah everything can be a documentary but essentially everything you see with a with a storyline a bit of whether it be like fact or fiction um anyone with a camera can create emotion like you saw with us out, out out the fink and to use that as an example like you don't need a huge um camera crew out there but essentially if you've got a story to follow or a plot to follow or or or, or some sort of emotions in it that 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 can essentially be classed as a documentary and it, one person can do it with a GoPro like a lot of the you could almost classify some of the YouTubers who are one man band with a GoPro out there just out there documenting their life as, as sort of some sort of documentary these days um, but the key to all good I think the key like you said why you probably you're engaged with them and why you're sucked into documentaries is it is that story and it's got a bit of meaning and got a bit of emotion sort of attached to it and that's that's what gets people in Oh, mate, 100%. When I watch a doco, a, it's got to have a sick trailer, otherwise no one's going to watch it. That's that's a given. But it's either got to be emotionally engaging and, and teach me something new about myself realistically through something new that you learn about the world, or it's got to be heavily fact-driven. Now, whether that you can get those facts in a, in a $15 doco and you can get the same facts in a $5 million doco, um, and, and I don't think it's needed most of the time. Like... I don't want to shit on other people's shows, but there's a, there's a doco that I was super excited to watch. That new one, um, fuck the names, leave me, Zac Efron's new one on Netflix, where he's going around the world with his, oh, um, yeah. with his mate. Is I, it I food? saw that. Like, no, nah, well, they've, they've thrown food in there to make one interesting piece in, in each episode. Because I watch, I read the the overview, and I'm like, 
Zach Efron's going around the world, meeting cool people, talking about health, and it was all it's funded like to to drive the eco-friendly message and climate change and all that kind of shit. And then for some reason they've decided to, to splice it in with some cooking around the way, and I'm like, this is fucking cool. Like it, it, I was super excited, and then I watched it. And I'm like, this is the driest, most boring fucking doco with five minutes of entertaining shit on cooking, five couple of minutes of Zac Efron, because I'm a bit of a fan of Zac, um, doing some fun shit. And then there's some dry-ass 30-minute segments on... Oh, the first episode put me to sleep. They, they spent 30 minutes in a water power station um, talking to engineers. And it wasn't like interesting kind of Neil deGrasse Tyson-style science. It was a dude who's been in a lab doing engineering his entire life talking about engineering I'm like you lost me and that's a massive budget doco that's a snooze fest whereas you get some dude doing some backyard cooking talking talking to some scientists and it's fucking super engaging for five bucks give or take oh 100% and, and, and I think as well like the the content creators who don't have the budget on their side are looking for other things to, to bring you in like but that's where they got to look at, at, at sort of the shot list and and the story that they're telling. And honestly, I think people are drawn to a bit of that home, homegrown sort of not Hauser, I won't say Hauser, but like homemade documentaries. I think you feel it's a bit more unscripted. It's a bit more raw, like like you saw probably at the Fink. Like we weren't sat there with with a, a script and reading off a. A monologue. It was you got pulled aside as something happened, and the camera put in your face, and you go, "Tell us about the emotions you're feeling right now, or give us a a quick summary of what's just happened." And you don't have time to to think about it. You don't have time to have your hair and makeup done, and and you're put on the spot. And that's when people are a lot more real and raw on camera. Mate, hundred percent. I reckon. So this is this is. I, I grew up watching way too many movies. Like I fucking love movies growing up. I always thought. If I didn't join the army, that's what I was going to get into, like movie mate. And then I realised it was super boring. There was way too many levels. But um, one the, the the number one thing I always found watching it myself, and if if something was good and engaging, I forgot I was watching TV. Or I forgot yeah. I was watching a movie. Like you, you're so absorbed into the content that you like you feel a part of it. And I've been hearing stuff on um, a bunch of different podcasts over the last few years talking about CGI and and how they're losing that ability so it's almost like the bigger your budget the more cgi the more the more fancy shit you put in there the more unreal you're making it and therefore people can't get that human connection and lose themselves in content whereas if like at the thing like if we've got dudes just sitting around and you're shooting it i mean it's high quality cameras high quality video that comes out but it feels real so people watching it could almost forget that they're not like you, you get you, you feel like you're just in a in a chair next to the boys talking, and that's fucking gold, mate. Like that's what we're we're chasing, regardless of budget. We want viewers to go, like, wake up at the end of it and go, "Fuck, I was just in that while I was watching yeah. it." Yeah, and they feel like they know everyone, and they feel almost like they know everyone who was sort of sat there um, personally. Fucking oath, that's intent. And I do. I, I think you lose that um, when when you got too much money. Well, I don't know. I, I've never had too much money to make a massive docker. But anyway, <laughs> well, you going can go forward. Out the what was that? 
Mate, we must, our brainwaves must have bloody synced or a period, one of the two, because I was just about to say about the same thing about sci- was over, over, overproduced sci-fi movies where your brain cannot comprehend what is happening. They reckon that's why, you, when's the last time you went to the movies as an adult and went, that was a fucking, um, like your mind's blown, you talk about it for a week. Interstellar. Most Mate, of the time you walk I've got like, that answer preloaded. Yeah, Interstellar, yeah, right? That was phenomenal, right? Um, but Have you but watched that Ready Player that, One? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is. No, oh. I'm, I'm fairly convinced that's like the new, that's the new um, prophecy from the Bible, mate. Like we are, we are <laughs> in a simulation. Someone made Ready Player One. We just haven't invented those levels yet. Yeah, well, I mean, that sort of stuff you, with your inability, you watch old movies where they use actual dummies and f- as a guy on fire running around as opposed to CGI fire. Subconsciously, your brain doesn't believe it or you don't get absorbed into it. Mate, absolutely. Um, and that's that's where I, I started waffling down rabbit holes, but that's what I was getting at that I've been listening to on, on a few podcasts over the last few years. It's like when it's too much CGI, even though it looks like if you put... Um, I don't know, one of the Marvel movies from the last few years next to a superhero movie from the 80s, 90s. The 80s, 90s one look like dog Star shit Wars. in comparison, right? It's, it's massive contrast. Star Wars, yeah, all right. So Star Wars is a perfect example. Use you, you Look at Star Wars versus the current Marvel movies. Your brain, even though Star Wars, there's a lot of it was fake, they were people in costumes, right? So there's nothing in your brain receiving data going, I don't know where to allocate this data because you watch the old Star Wars and your brain goes, that's a person in a costume. I know what that is. I'm going to process it. You, and you watch the background. Like in the background, it's like real dust, real dirt, whatever it's going to be on set. And then you watch a complete CGI Marvel movie. Your brain is sitting there going, I know this is fake because I don't know where to process this shit because it's so far from real. And therefore, you don't get any kind of emotional connection to it because your brain compartmentalizes that that is not real. Therefore, you don't care. Like you could watch a Marvel movie where 5,000 people die and there is no emotional connection to it. Whereas you watch something that's filmed with real people, real people dying, you instantly get some kind of emotional connection to whatever they're trying to push in the messaging. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy so, to think where anyway. we are. Wow. Hopefully, it's, I, I think it's going back the other way. I mean, look at Netflix. Like Most Netflix shows are playing on like the retro 80s, 90s era. They're, they're, they're trying to get you... Because that's, that's when we started losing our way. I think it went too far into CGI. And now, all the, everything they're doing is going back to that era where it was real-ish. Even, what was that latest... Um, uh, the Amazon Woman. What's that one? Fuck, I don't watch any Marvel movies anymore. Oh, no, it's not Marvel. It's DC. What's the big one? Wonder Woman. The new Wonder Woman, the entire movie, is set in the 80s so that they could make it like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from the 80s, 90s. It's not good, but it's better than most of the Marvel shit coming out these days. <laughs> yeah, they're not looking at watching it. They reckon all the directors are pissed off. Like we haven't made a, we haven't had an original thought in Hollywood since Marvel started up. Like we just re-spin some old comic books. But... Even Marvel, oh. all the Marvel shit's like decades old. They're just re-spinning it. Yeah. So know, what's next? I mean, Sorry, where do we I go next? Off, With Netflix. Uh, are we doing... Uh, we've got part one, the Fink Doco, Pursuit of Purpose. Is that where, is that where we're going? Is it going to be... Yeah. Is it going to be an eight-part... Eight-part Swiss Aid Doco Netflix special? Oh, no, I don't think so. Look, maybe next year. <laughs> <I don't think laughs> <either. laughs> 
I don't think it's gonna be, I don't think this year's gonna be an eight part one, but I think the lead up to next year after after seeing what we captured this year and then us all being virgins to the Fink, like you gotta remember we all we all rocked up there like I rocked up there as a content creator who hadn't had a clue about what we were seeing. You guys rocked up there having not been there. We had riders in there for the first time. Like I think we done pretty well uh, considering that. But I think looking forward to next year, I think we we could be on the podium and we could be making an eight part documentary. Oh, I don't. Oh, yeah. If you want to make an eight part think one, go go to town. I've got mate. No. I've got ideas. I can't say them on here because they're too high speed. They're not. They've been done a hundred times. But I just think we can do them better. But I definitely reckon there's scope to sit down and brainstorm out an eight part um, holistic health and lifestyle doco series with our veteran audience or with our veteran community as as like the stars of it. And Netflix, mate, they're probably watching this podcast. They'll eat it up. That's a hundred million dollar deal for sure. Eight-part series, doco on Netflix, filmed by veterans, talk, telling people how to be better at life. That was the trailer yeah, right there. 100%. Just, or just We're edit on. that out and use that as a trailer. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right, we need to get talking about the thing because I've only got about 20 minutes left in me. Um, so, where to with the thing? We, we went out. I don't even know what we're going to talk about with the thing. How do we, how do we want to well, give no away teasers without telling people the whole story? Fuck knows. No one's got an answer to that one. What, what are we allowed to let people know about the Fink Doco that's coming? Mate, I think, I think, I think, yeah, like, well, I think they need to know about the whole sort of Fink trip because does anyone, have you just talked about it on the podcast? Like, what the, like, have you done a lead up or, or anything? Like, I think probably we'd talk we did a lead about up, what, yeah. Yeah, so then we could probably talk about what happened out there. Like, we don't, like, it's not like a, a movie where we're going to give away the end. Like, I think, we can talk about the overall experience and God I can talk about it from my perspective I, I thought it was fucking unreal yeah unpack it mate go nuts and then I can jump in so again well, like, I, I don't want to for me I don't yeah go mate mm. I was just saying like I, I there is I am conscious of like over talking so I don't want to go and talk, tell people the whole story and then they watch the doc and they're like Oh yeah, this is just a video version of what that idiot said on that podcast that day. Um, no, I know. So I mean, obviously, there's no, there's no, te- um, what do you call them? What do you call it when you spoilers? There's no spoilers, but yeah, it'd be good to hear, bro. What like what it was like shooting your doco on on this stuff from your side. Yeah, so like, mate, from from the get go, like I hadn't really heard much about um, the Fink, and then you guys sort of approached me um, to come out there and make the doco, but. In terms of what I had, like the vision of I had it in my head versus what unfolded on the ground, like I think uh, we couldn't have got a ven- better environment for what you guys are trying to do with the pursuit of purpose, um, and then also, also for filming as well. Like uh, it, it was hard to plan for from a content um, perspective, and we sort of come into it going, "Yeah, we're going to make a a doco," but like we sort of chatted about before, like we come into it with an unscripted event like none of us had any control as to what was going to happen up until a couple of days before the event i didn't even know if we were all going to get there because of covid restrictions and whatnot and then for me coming into it storyboarding from sort of the creative direction side of the piece i hadn't met anyone aside from you two that, that, that were out there i hadn't met any of the writers i hadn't met any of the adf um 
veterans that were coming on the support crew. So it was a ve- I, I was sort of rocking up there with a very open mind. Like I always do to those jobs where I haven't had the ability to sit down with someone or do a casting or work with a, a familiar crew. And we set out there with the idea of making the documentary and I, I was quietly nervous. Like I, I, I didn't tell you guys because like there's so many factors that can play on that. And it's people's willingness to be on camera. I, I didn't know what the... Who, who these veterans were I didn't know who the writers were I didn't know if anyone wanted to be filmed I didn't even know anything about the Fink um, and, until we got out there but once we, once we hit the ground and obviously Max had been doing a lot of like I, I didn't realise also the enormity of uh, sort of how big the trip was like I I think I told you guys when we were out there I was planning on flying to Alice Springs and operating out of my car for eight days like not having a bed to sleep in like we were swagging it the whole time and I think day one we got there, Max picked me up, took me back to um, the Choco Barracks in Alice, and and that's when I realised, I'm like, fuck, we're onto something good here. Like, we had a, a good crew of riders there. We had the vets started coming in and meeting them straight away. Like, their, their personalities and, and how they were on camera, like, I knew we were onto something epic from a, from a content perspective. But then the whole thing just, like, the, the way it unfolded, you couldn't have you couldn't have scripted it better, um, and I'm conscious as well as my role in coming in as a content creator in this space. Like, I think people, I think people are quick to think that whenever whenever there's sort of some sort of content piece, it was going to be everyone sort of sat around telling telling stories about how hard they've had it and how fucked DVAR and kumbayas around the story but it was the uh, uh, kumbayas around the fire but it was the complete opposite to that like as soon as we got there there was what was there 20 of us all up you reckon like including like riders support staff um veterans yeah and yeah it was about 20 yeah mate it yeah, was, so it, it was, it was good 20 uh, not include the not the fa- and the families was the opposite it was more so mate so if you add family members it was up the crew was about 25 people um yeah and, and look i yeah, go, mate. What you're just just reiterating, mate, on on the fact that you, it wasn't guys sitting around this victim. I mean, uh, that that's my cross to, to to bear, and that is that changing this victim mentality that veterans have, and and uh, you know, it had the ability. You don't know what's going to happen in a group dynamic um, when you take people into that environment. But we sort of had a fairly good idea when we're talking at the level of some of the people that went um, and bringing in you know, Sutter and, and some other high achievers and, and bringing, you know, Papa Shrub and, and some of these guys in that can mould the direction where we want to take it. But they, those boys are high-performing uh, gunfighters who've gone through shit and, and just kept moving forward. And it was, and I think that we, we captured that and that was the intent. It certainly wasn't to sit around and bash DVA around a fire, you know what I mean, like you were saying? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, you guys probably haven't seen even seen the enormity of it because I was the only one sort of sitting down with these guys for one-on-one interviews, and I grabbed them at the start before the event started, before they'd come together as a group and and started socialising, and then sort of we got into the like the actual activity itself being the Fink, which was fucking unreal. Like I, I saw them at the start and what they come in with and and sort of what they come in looking to to get out of it why they put their hand up to volunteer with Swiss 8 and things like that and then I also got to sit down with them at the end um, behind closed doors and and talk to them about what they got out of it and like 
like I said, I, I couldn't have sat down and wrote the wrote this script better myself. And it, like it was just everyone had a different thing to say, and I think it, it achieved all the all, all the goals from uh, a Swiss aid pursuit of purpose and a content sort of perspective. Like they were, if I had to sum it up, they were connected and like deconnected at the same time. Like they come together with a bunch of veterans, and then we brought them together in the best possible environment where we went out into the, to the desert where no one had any phone reception, no one had any connection to any of the distractions in life for two or three days. And look, there wasn't any deliberate activities. There wasn't like, like everything just sort of flowed. Like you sat around the fire having beers like of a night time and people got things off their chest or had an informal conversation. Then the following day they were up at 6am as a pit crew for one of the bikes one of the, the ADF guys on the bike. Like, it was just unreal. Mate, and that, that what you said then, like, there was no deliberate activities. Like, that that ended up being the deliberate activity. It was like, have nothing planned. Because it was, it was, it was a, pretty much a pilot for us. We'd no, no one on that trip had ever been to the Fink. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen. We hadn't run an event like that for, from a mental health perspective before and and a lot of people are asking us they're like all right this is a formal mental health event like are you going to do mental health conversation starters at night or in the fire are you going to do x y and z and the answer was fuck no like we just want to get people together and see what happens and that was the first part of the experiment the other part that i think the 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 big piece that i want to push out and, and get people understanding is like there's so many mental health charities out there that just want to talk about that look in the demographic that we do which is like um, yeah, forever on, but we, we focus on the male kind of high-risk suicide demographic. And it's like no one's been able to cut through with those people before. And everyone, the starting point is they do these big campaigns and they're like, here's some conversation starters. Like, here's, you've got to have the chat. Like, you've got to ask, are these people okay? And it's like, fuck no. Like, you've missed the whole step. The whole step is just getting people to hang out together with people they trust and fucking going hands off. Because I guarantee you there's at least five people, and I won't put names out, five people on that trip that if we had sat them down around the campfire at night and said, hey, we're going to do some kumbaya conversation shit, we lose them straight away. Yeah. Like, they are fucking bottling back up. They're closing up. They don't want to talk about shit. But you get that same group of people around a campfire and go, hey, we're fucking camping. You're with the boys. All the all the lads here have been through some shit. No one needs to talk about that stuff at the moment. Just hang out and relax. Instantly. Like, it's like a fucking, the cortisol drops and weight comes off people and they're like, oh, I can just hang out and be myself. I'm not, it's not like at 9.30 tonight we're going to start talking about our emotions. Like, no, we're not. We're just going to fucking talk. And if you let it flow, flow freely some of that emotional baggage came out like a fucking lot of it to be honest but no one forced any of it it was just organic and I think that was fucking perfect I think yeah, it's, mate, but it's on almost that, on that on that Adrian where you said like and the same thing happened for you can say the same thing about the activities like we didn't have any set activities there was no itinerary there was no no sort of hard and fast alright on this day we're going to have this um, we're going to like run this training but being a group of veterans and current serving guys that come together, like there were daily orders, there were like there were orders, like and, and it was stuff that come out that was organic, like to that activity, like e- even just little things, like you said, like when we we're at their camp and like every meal time, someone would pick if it was their turn to to chip in and cook a meal if they washed up, if someone if someone was uh, like running the fuel down. All those little things that come out that that weren't planned. When you get a guys who have that common 
background of some sort of service, some still in, like the rehearsals we run before the race, the, the, like the, the, you wouldn't call them a set of, like if you had it written on paper and go, oh, everyone, we're going to have a set of orders at nine o'clock, like you'd probably see a couple of people roll their eyes, but like you're going to go, all right, we're going to get together for, for like a brief on how we're going to see this race unfolding. And then someone stands up the front and delivers a smeak. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's just what happened, and and mate, like everyone got a lot out of it, and, and, and it's sort of it's that like mate, I've been out of the army for a while, and I, I know I enjoyed it, and I still do it when I'm not working with military people on a film set. Like they might not pick up on it because they've never been in uniform, but that that structure, routine, discipline that people can think, oh yeah, it's just it's just a part of being in the army. We were the group of veterans, and we couldn't help but do it anyway. But it was like it, it was beneficial. Like, and, and I think it, when people watch the documentary, they'll see they'll see the advantages that a team of military and ex-military people have over people who haven't served who, that just come out naturally. Like little things like fuel stop rehearsals, um, like orders of an evening. Just even little things like the radio discipline the guys have on the sat phones and, and radios and things like that. Like, I'm sure we probably had a, a more of a tight-knit team than guys like Red Bull and KTM who have been doing it for years just purely because we're creatures of habit. And like, like you said, it was unscripted, but those things happen naturally anyway. Mm. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's... Um, so for lack of a better word when we talk about the environment that you create uh, there's two factors that will allow this to happen and if we go from a shamanistic point of view right where you just you know that the, the, you in, you introduce them to a situation you're not saying right at this time this is what we're going to talk about you have you have people there who are experienced lived experienced and 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 mental health experienced people that can guide and flow the conversation but it's not structured at all and it's not even set up it's not set up it wasn't set up and you take that model as opposed to the prescribed uh current western health box ticking step through the process and i think you get it and you do get a better result and, and, and it's authentic and people trust the experience and it, and it's from that's from gunslinging guys it also helps when you take a group of people away like that when you select those personalities and there was there was a little bit of consideration with selecting the personalities was if you get nine really fucked up dudes and you put one good guy with them they will bring that good guy down and it, it could it could very well turn into a victim party and a dva bashing campfire i'm more fucked up than you story right but if you get nine guys and bring one or two fucked up dudes with them they sit around they go ah this is how i fucking operate and and when you get those people who are have that instructor credibility and the people you look up to and they go yeah man we all have bad days bro and and that conversation flows and it brings them up with them back up to the group dynamic and that level i think it was magic to watch and for me i got so much out of just watching that and and being back on the reserve base like i think i fell straight back into <laughs> I don't know if that's healthy, but yeah, I think it was a good yeah. experience. I, th I think the other thing as well, Max, what you're talking about there as well is it's not only that, it's it's bringing them together in that environment like the Fink was where, like, I, I didn't know any of the ADF riders or the guys riding in the race until I got out there. But as soon as I got out there and met them, like, it's just a part of me 
I knew it was very far-fetched, but a part of me wanted them to win it so bad. Like, there's probably never any chance of any of them getting on the podium, but when when you come together, and it's just sort of that competitive nature that you get from being in the army and, and, and sort of... We're sort of from an alpha, alpha male institute and we're looking left and right at some of the camps at the scrutineering and whatnot and going, fuck, we can... Like, I think when I've done a couple of the pre-race interviews, a few of the guys genuinely believe that we've had races going <laughs> for the first time we probably <laughs> knock a couple of the locals off. But, like, but that, that environment itself is like... It's not, it's not only the... You bring someone in who's struggling who will get picked up around... Like, you bring people into an environment where everyone feels part of this winning team and no one wants to let the the winning team down and and as soon as we got out there mate and 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 i saw it on like i literally saw people's confidence rise from sort of as the team grew as as we were doing the servicing back at the choco barracks and we saw the sort of like when i sat there as gay as this sounds or yeah as gay as this sounds when i sat there and we uh, (laughs) when i sat there and we like I listened to the set of orders that they gave. I was like, I, I look. I, I thought to myself, I'm like, no one, no other teams are out here doing this. Like, no one is like, no one has got this military background where you give a set of orders and and we've taken a team of guys from who who haven't known each other, like veterans flying to support guys riding, and we've sort of come together. And I think. If you looked around in that room when people were giving orders, like I reckon, fifty percent of the people thought we're in, a, in for a chance of winning it, and 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 that's the sort of mentality you want to you want to breed. Hundred percent, mate. There is something about orders, right? And it's um, not not just military orders, but just having decisive instruction. It's like a lot of the a lot of the lads that come on, like there's some parts of their life that have just gone off off the rails like and i'm not talking about completely for us i'm saying like maybe they're going through some anxiety and they don't understand anxiety therefore every time they get anxious they're kind of all right my brain and body's doing this right now and i don't i haven't got the reins i'm just going to go with it as soon as you give people who have got parts of their life that are a little bit they don't feel in control of as soon as you give smeak style orders it's an instant load off and they're like there is i'm surrounded by people who fucking know what's going on Therefore, it's all right if I don't know exactly what's going on all the time because these dudes around me have got it. And it rolls back in exactly what Max was just saying. Like, if you do have 10 people and nine of them know what's going on and one doesn't, that one dude feels safe. Like, he feels secure because he's like, I've got to rise up to be at these boys' level, but they've also got me. If you if you take 10 positions on a trip like this and you fill them with 10 people who are fucking Captain Corked, no one's getting anything out of it. Like you, you can't take ten people that are completely fucked and put a psych in the room and go, "The psych's going to solve all your problems." The only way with our demographic, I think, is to go. Let's take the boys who really need help and surround them with dudes who are fucking high performing, and you'll come up. And orders yeah. bring all that together. Like, and like you said as well, like Adrian, like when when we're out there, it's not it's not only that. It's bring them together, like. If you're looking at the demographic that you guys are sort of targeting, it's bringing them together around an event that they would otherwise get around anyway, which is which was the Fink Desert Race, which essentially is a, a massive dirt bike race um, and, and a piss up. Yeah, mate, and it, the, that I mean, I, I think I said it some in one of those interviews. Like, why are we at the Fink? It's like because instead of trying to encourage a group of knuckle dragon dudes to do some shit that they've never that they're not really into yeah to do bloody art therapy or or something completely foreign to them 
why don't we why don't we take the success points take the shit that we want them to achieve and put them in an event that they would have wanted to go to anyway and Aussie dudes knuckle drag and knock around dudes love going to motorsports but I mean I've said dudes a lot in the last couple of minutes so the, and, and I, we get bombed with this all the time they're like oh how come you don't do stuff for chicks like the answer is we do everything we're building is for anyone but there is scenarios and no one in Swiss Aid is ever going to apologise for this there is scenarios where we have to make it blokes only um, and if anyone wants to know why the why is exactly what we were just talking about um, over the last half an hour it's like there is dudes out there that stigma is everything like their pride or their fucking ego whatever something's stopping them from accepting their shit and those blokes have got barriers up already and as soon as if like we said if we go kumbaya time around the fire they're going to bottle up and be like nah fuck this as soon as there was half of the conversations I had with blokes um, after hours on that fink trip would not have happened if there was a female in the room um, so yes, down the track we're going to have to have ways to to. There, there's a bunch of events we're planning for next year actually that are um, guys and chicks, um, but there's also ones that we are going to run that are just for dudes because there's we we have to leave it open for those boys to get involved and, and get emotionally vulnerable. Yeah, I, I, we, I think we, people will understand that because I'm sure I'm sure it flows both ways. Like I'm sure if you. I'm sure there's certain things that girls wouldn't talk about in front of in front of female, in front of males that they didn't know that they'd open up in front of like that's why they had mothers groups and things like that. Like, um, I think, yeah, yeah, I 100% agree with what you're saying. There's environments for yeah, both. I think and, chemically, and it's just, I think it's there's just way too much chemically. Yeah, there's chemically there's way too much going on in that interaction hormonally, chemically when you get to when you get op- members of the opposite sex together. I don't think you're going on a I don't think it's it's achievable. I don't think it's the same with... I'm not talking about equality and equal rights. That is obviously not what I'm talking about. But there is differences, and there is differences in relationships when you put those two sexes in the same room. You don't get it as a deeper uh, connection or or a desirable outcome. Um, we do stuff for mate, if we... If we if we had if that was a, a mixed gender trip, it would have been it would have detracted heavily from any kind of mental health journey, and the, half of those boys would have been there every night going, "I've got to hit on this chick, I've got to hit on this chick," and that would have fucked the entire purpose of the trip. Uh, um, it'll be getting sent to a couple of companies sort of in the next week or two, and then expect to see it on the public forum in about probably ten days. That's good. Yeah, nice. And um, anyone who wants to get a hold of you to check out your sick content, what are your socials? Mate, I've just deactivated Instagram, so I don't have that anymore. I'll be ba- I'll be back on there in a bit. But what? Yeah, yeah. So, like, talk back to... You having a breather? Yeah, having a breather. I, I had it for a while, but um, I had it, and then I got rid of it off my phone. But then I found, like, I keep checking in because people will message me about work, so I just deactivated the whole thing. But I'll be back... I'll be back there in a bit. Just got a couple of projects that I'm working on that I wanted to get done beforehand. And like I said, Instagram's a bit of a toxic beast. I've seen the best of it and seen the worst of it. So I'm just having a bit of a time out. Yeah. No, nah, but the website's six. I'd love six, to encourage people to stay away from yeah, it. Yeah, six one sunray.com. But I'm just going through a whole like business uh, rebrand and rebuild at the moment. So that's sort of what I'm focused on at the moment.